There's this beautiful quote, the longer I live, the more deeply I learn that love, whether we call it friendship or family or romance, is the work of mirroring and magnifying each other's light. That's our work, you know. We have to practice the art of being in a room together and being in community. And we've lost it. I really, truly think that what we've experienced the past three years has been so traumatizing to all of us. I have to push myself sometimes to put myself in a room with a lot of people. But then once I'm there, I'm sort of, I have this deep remembering, like deep in me, where I was like, this is what we're here for. We're here to be in community and to witness each other. I think that's what it comes down to. That's designer and serial community builder, Tina Roth-Eisenberg, and this is... A Social Life. A Social Life. A Social Life with friends. With friends. With friends. With friends. A Social Life with friends. I'm Madeline Dorr, and in this brand new podcast, I speak to authors, experts, strangers, and even some of my own friends about how we can better navigate the joy and the heartbreak of being a person in the world with other people. In this episode, I'm asking... How can we get better at bringing people together? This question is rather timely, given it's a season of -of end-of-year gatherings, celebrations and holidays. But I wanted to ask how I can practice the art of being in a room together in a way that makes it extraordinary and celebratory every day. When I think of someone who's mastered such an art, I think of Tina Roth-Eisenberg. Also known as Swiss Miss, she is a designer, serial entrepreneur and the host of Creative Mornings, which is a free monthly breakfast lecture series that she founded in 2008 in Brooklyn and can now be found in over 230 cities across the globe. Creative Mornings is the embodiment of Gathering Well, but Tina's fondness and aptitude for bringing people together goes much further back. I grew up in the Swiss countryside and I would gather the kids at night to play games outside, you know, ball games. Or in college, I would organize concerts over lunchtime. Um, what else? When I moved to New York, I, um, I didn't know anyone at all. And I realized I had to just be that person that starts gathering people. And I remember I started with inviting people to go for a walk or at the company I was at, my last job, I was part of the blue team. So I organized blue wigs for the whole blue team. And then I got us all to go and get lunch. You know, that I was nervous because my English wasn't that good and I was new to the city. But these little tiny experiments gave me more and more, you know, confidence. The list of experiments is endless. Potluck lunches at work, game nights, stoop parties with neighbours, home dinners with acquaintances, singles nights. What I love about this timeline of gathering is the homespun creativity. One, one evening that I'm really proud of that was a little accidental, but my God, was that fun. I invited a bunch of really good friends of mine over and they said, what can we bring? And uh, I sort of said to one, like, you don't have to bring anything. And he said, no, 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 what can I bring? I was like, okay, then bring a cheese that represents your personality. And then I told everyone to bring a cheese that represents their personality. And then we put all the cheeses out and we we circled around the cheeses. And then everyone went around and said why they picked the cheese they picked. I have never learned more about my friends than that evening. It was so beautiful. So organize a cheese night. It was wonderful. In 2008, Tina took her gathering a step further and started a co-working space now known as Friends, well before co-working spaces were a thing. 
that became the time when I took gathering actually more seriously because for the first time ever, I created a physical space that was mine. That was sort of my gathering box, right, to play in. And it was absolutely magical what unfolded. The the ideas that flowed, the collaborations that came out of it, out of friends came so many ideas like our happy hours where we ask people to give like sort of a five-minute talk on their latest obsessions or secret side projects. We have these beautiful, typical New York fire escapes, and uh, we put musicians on the fire escape and then have a concert and just sort of the neighborhood pulls in and, and, and stops on their way home. And it's so beautiful. Um, I started a choir because the space allowed me to gather people. I'm actually scared of singing, but I figured if I start a choir and I'm scared of singing and I'm not good at singing, that maybe other people would want to do that too. And then we performed multiple times and that was a really proud moment of gathering, my gathering career, I have to say. I love how Tina just phrased that, her gathering career. Why can't we make many careers out of many different aspects of our lives? By that definition, we can have a career in gathering, a career in being a good friend, a career in learning how to love well. I asked Tina where this particular life's occupation stemmed from. You know, it's interesting. Like, I feel like if I, I find life so fascinating that, you know, how you always say you can't con- connect the dots going forward, but then you look back and you go like, oh my God, this all makes so much sense. For Tina, the dots began with growing up in the Swiss mountains, where she was being raised by two entrepreneurial parents who, as she said, did the best they could, but didn't necessarily know how to give or receive love. Um, You know, I never lacked anything in terms of, you know, I never had to worry about food. Like I was a privileged kid, but what I did lack was emotional safety. My parents were very miserably married. You know, as a grown-up, I I truly feel for them because it must have been really hard for both of them. They were just not good for each other. And, you know, as a very empathetic and sensitive kid, Uh, Having fallen into a family where love, nobody knew how to give love or receive love or, you know, just be loving. (laughs) That was really hard as a kid for me growing up. And I think because I didn't have that emotional safety, I really craved creating it in, you know, the places I was part of. So I feel like the underlying current is to be welcoming and to make them feel safe and to make them feel really, really loving. And it's so funny when when I look back, it's like I feel like I've alchemized sort of the lack of that loving environment that I craved so much as a kid. And I've alchemized and made that into my life's mission to literally wrap everyone that comes my way in a blanket of love. It's a beautiful thing to do in this life to take what we might have missed and turn it into a mission to improve things for other people. What I take from what Tina so generously shared is that this ability to create loving spaces can be learned. So I asked her just that. How did she learn to become the kind of person who can create this blanket of love? I had to sort of be alert at all times and sort of read the room because you never really knew if somebody's going to blow up at any moment. So when you're someone who is consistently reading and scanning the room, you really sense who the safe pockets and the loving pockets are, like in any room. And I feel like I was just attuning to what that feels like. And even though that wasn't necessarily my life, I think I started mimicking sort of, oh, that person feels really good. What are they doing? You know, and I think I picked up sort of the 
this is how you make someone really welcome. And this is how you make someone feel really seen. And, and I think just by not having it and studying people around me, it became good at doing that myself for other people. As someone who has personally had the pleasure of attending a creative mornings in many different cities, as well as the fire escape concerts and the friends happy hour, I can say this very essence of feeling seen and safe can be deeply felt as an attendee. I hope that like whoever attends one of our events feels like their nervous system can relax a bit. And I truly believe that we have two two modes of operation. We're either in fear, sort of stuck in our head, or or we operate from our heart, which was more is more in the love uh, energy and just the openness and the giving people grace and being gentle and kind. What I learned from this is that it's not about you as a host. It's about creating an atmosphere. I know I've personally made the mistake of bringing expectations and perfectionism into all sorts of different gatherings, but being a good host is much more about being intentional than it is about being perfect. Be, be really clear why you're gathering people. Be very thoughtful in introducing people to each other ahead of time or making sure they know who's in your room. I always personally really, really love that. And, and then just be a really warm, thoughtful host. Take that role seriously. To take this role seriously, we can take a page of Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering, where she says, don't be a chill host. This book has been formative in my own gatherings, including an event series I ran called Psy Project Sessions, where I would literally ring a little bell that would signal people's time to focus or to break. And I would often have to shush people if there was any breaking of that rule, because it's all about protecting the atmosphere. People appreciate when someone is friendly but firm, present and engaged. It's an act of kindness to keep the intention alive, even if it means gently reminding others of an instruction or rule. Priya Parker's The Art of Gathering has hugely informed Tina's approach. And as she told me, I do think as a host, you have a responsibility that people feel welcome, they feel comfortable, that that is your role, that's your job for the night. And let's say if somebody, you know, would dominate the, the dinner conversation in a way that is really making people uncomfortable, or it's just inappropriate, or whatever it is, that's where the don't be a chill host comes in and where you have to take the reins and have to make sure that the evening, you know, is 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 loving and kind and welcoming. I mean, this might sound daunting now the way I described it, but I think it just comes down to just being as if you were a good friend and make sure people feel welcome. And what are the elements you can do? What what are the things you can do to make feel, people feel welcome? It's it's really not rocket science, or maybe it's just something that comes so easily to me. But so so many times I tell people, just invite people. People are so lonely. I want to pause on that important point. Just invite people. People are lonely. Because people are lonely, because we may have forgotten how to be in a room together, part of this theme is about how we can reimagine the invitations that we extend. Especially around this time of year, how we gather often centres around a very rigid definition of family or idea of traditions. When I spoke to author and journalist Anne Helen Peterson, who is currently in the throes of writing a book about how we can foster community and friendship, she said it's important we expand how we gather and with who. It's so much fun to have holidays with your friends. <laughs> and I think that I think that people 
gravitate towards family because of tradition or because they grew up with it or because they're like embarrassed of their family that's going to be there or don't want to handle that. But really the greatest thing about like having friends there is they're your co-conspirators, right? Like they can be helpful in whatever food that you're making. They can be helpful in distracting your kid. They can be helpful in like dealing with your weird uncle. Like if we have normalized inviting a weird uncle to your house every single year, even though they're always weird and it's always uncomfortable and like you don't really like them being there, why not have someone that you actually really love there too? And I think you can never go wrong with asking, right? So people make assumptions here oh, that person would never want to come to my family's Christmas. And even if the person doesn't want to go, that's really flattering and really lovely that you thought of them. You can't go wrong with just asking. I'm learning that so much of the art of bringing people together or making friends or building community for that matter is about deciding to be the one to initiate things. Tina agrees. People want to be part of communities. They want to be invited. Just somebody has to start it. So I always tell my kids that, you know, don't wait for the community to invite you in or to exist that you want to be part of. Just start it. Like if you want to start a silent book club, start it. If you want to start a a cheese club, whatever it is, and don't overthink it. Just start small, um, just like Creative Mornings did. And just have a real, have fun and experiment and prototype and and, uh, and then they will grow over time if, if that's something you want, right? Starting something can be easier said than done, but the key thing is to be willing to experiment. Again, I think we can glean something from Tina. I asked her if her gatherings ever flop. Yeah, I mean, of course, sometimes things don't work out. And that's, I mean, that's where I think I'm so grateful that I'm a trained designer because I feel like as a, as a designer, you have this this notion of prototyping and trying and let's see if we add this or take that away. And I sometimes take that for granted that that is so ingrained in how I show up in life and how I approach anything I build. I think what I see is sometimes people get so overly perfectionist. Like the invitations are really like sort of like almost too high end and too perfect and too what everyone else is doing and like, to me, I much rather go somewhere where it's a bit scrappier, where I walk in and they hand me a cutting board and a knife and say, like, can you cut these mushrooms? It's okay for things to be a bit scrappy. In fact, it's far more accessible that way. When we arrive and chop up mushrooms or carrots, or even if we're the ones to chip into something, it not only feels more inviting, it feels more communal and sustainable. I spoke to the food writer and supper club host, Rosie Kellett, about how to host budget-friendly dinners And her tip for creating a great gathering was to ask for help. All of these things can be achieved on very little money if lots of people chip in. And so the the thing like, you know, when we did our massive Easter dinner table, which was hilarious because like it doesn't, it shouldn't really fit that many people. Um, But between us, like we probably each chipped in another five pounds, but we fed all of those people and and it was such an amazing day. Like I instigated and organized it, but then it took the group effort and, and and everybody there to make it what it was. So definitely I would say if anyone is considering doing anything like this or even just hosting a big Thanksgiving meal, like be the instigator and people will come. And With the dozens of ideas for events and gatherings that have been shared, with the encouragement to experiment, with the advice to take hosting seriously, 
to extend and expand our invitations, to instigate things and ask for help, I wanted to see if there was a thread that connects everything when it comes to bringing people together. For Tina, it comes down to this one simple thing. Fun. You can tell if a host has fun because enthusiasm is contagious and, and confidence is just impressive. You want the contagious part. You want people to come to your whatever it is and kind of be swooped up in that enthusiasm that they go like, this is fun. You want them to leave wanting to tell about their friends about what they just experienced, right? And I think if you maybe just whatever you organize, just think of that. What do you have to do that somebody leaves with a smile on their face and goes like, well, I want to tell my friend what I just experienced. It's so clear when someone loves what they're doing, and that's the very thing we're looking for. When we can bring enthusiasm and fun to something, we can be the very light for other people. Thanks for listening to A Social Life with Friends. Like many of my projects, this is a labour of love, and if you find value or inspiration in any of the work I do, I'd so appreciate your support. It takes many days for me to produce, edit, sound design and host these podcasts and your support really helps to bring this to life. You can head to a sociallifewithfriends.com to become a paid supporter and receive bonus links, interview snippets and more. Of course, you can also sign up to the newsletter for free and show support by subscribing to the podcast wherever you like to listen. If you enjoyed the episode, you can leave a positive review or maybe it's even the perfect thing to share with a friend and bring a bit of connection to your day. We've talked a lot about the importance of love in this episode, and so I want to leave you with a quote from Ursula K. Le Guin that also speaks to, I think, the intention and the effort that we need to bring people together. Love doesn't just sit there like a stone. It has to be made like bread, remade all the time, made new. <laughs>